You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. We've entitled that series, Portrait of a Disciple. And today is the final or concluding message of that series. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ, at the beginning of his ministry, goes to a mountain in Galilee, and he preaches the first main teaching of his ministry. He launches this gospel of the kingdom, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that Sermon on the Mount, he paints a portrait or gives us a portrait of a disciple. Now, yesterday, we met our neighbors, our new neighbors, for the first time. And we invited them to come into our house. We welcomed them. We said, hey, we want to get to know you. And one of the first things that I did, and if you've been to my house, you know exactly what I'm about to tell you, is as we walked by this beautiful portrait of my family, I stopped and I shared with them that portrait. It's there of our four children, of our two Uh, son-in-laws of our eight grandchildren that are sprawled out on the couch in front of us. And I just took quite a time sharing with them, oh, this is my daughter. This is her husband. This is my other daughter. This is her husband. This is their four children. This is their four children. My my daughter here lives at home. Here's my son who lives at home. It's my wife. This is me. (laughs) Now imagine this. Imagine if I go and look at that portrait And all of a sudden, one of you is in the picture. (laughs) Funny, huh? Especially some of you. And I would say, wait a second. You don't belong in this portrait. How did you get in here? There's there's something that was very popular several years ago, maybe 2014 or something. It was a big craze. It was called photobombing, right? So you get a portrait, you know, you got a family here, you know, they're standing to get the family picture and suddenly some wise guy, you know, pops his head up like, eh, you know, it's like, and when the picture comes out, they say, wait, wait, he doesn't belong here. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ is giving us a family portrait and telling us who belongs there. The the, the main point of the Sermon on the Mount, it's like Jesus declarative Message saying, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. He talks about heart righteousness. He talks about the righteousness that we have in Christ. And he calls out those people that are photobombing in his portrait of a disciple. And those people would be the hypocrites, the Pharisees, who did not have a heart righteousness, but brought in their self-righteousness. And Jesus said, Depart from me. I never knew you. Here is a true disciple. A true disciple is one whom I have chosen and I've given them my righteousness, not their self-righteousness. And they obey me and they walk in my steps. The Sermon on the Mount is particular in that it gives us the righteousness of God that we have in Christ in a very practical way. Blessed are those that do these things. It speaks of a whole person righteousness, a from the inside out righteousness. 
It speaks of those who belong in this family portrait, God's family portrait. Are you in that portrait? You only get in that portrait if you're a child of God. And you can't bump your way into that portrait. You can't Photoshop yourself into that portrait. You can't photobomb yourself into that portrait. You're in that portrait because God says, come on. You're in the portrait. But Lord, I don't look anything like these people. Oh, yes, you do. Because I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I'm conforming you into the image of Christ. That's a disciple. And Jesus spends three chapters, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, giving us this this initiatory manifesto of the kingdom of God and of Christianity, what Jesus came to do. And now at the end of his life, after painting this portrait of a disciple and who belongs in there by the grace of God, those that have Christ's righteousness, those that obey Christ, those that are looking more and more like their heavenly father, like Jesus, at the end of his life, some three years later, on a mountain in Galilee, perhaps the very same mountain where he preached three years earlier, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives them the final brushstroke. The, the, the final image of the portrait of a disciple. And that's what we're going to read this morning in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28, verses, verses 16 to 20. Here, Jesus is going to conclude this portrait, begun in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to me. Made possible by his death, his life, perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, that's the sum of the gospel. Here's the deal with Christianity. At the beginning of time, God's will was for mankind to reflect his glory on earth. That's what he told Adam and Eve. He created them male and female. In his image, he created them to reflect his glory and then to go out and populate the earth with fellow glory reflectors, fellow image bearers of God. Remember, he said to them, go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But instead of reflecting God's glory, they stole God's glory. They said, no, no, I don't want to reflect your glory. I want your glory. And in that moment, we lost That ability, the image of God was marred, it was broken, it was shattered. Jesus came as the promised savior to restore the image of God, to restore us into his image so that we might reflect his glory in Christ and then to go out and to make image bearers. And Jesus is giving us that picture right here. It is the final brushstroke of a disciple. It is the one great purpose that we have. And that's the title of this message. One great purpose. Have you thought about what your one great purpose is? Now look, I know sometimes it is hard to think about your one great purpose when all you're trying to do is get out of the door on time for work. Or trying to get the kids ready for school. Or merging into rush hour traffic. 
or sitting in front of your computer like I do every couple of weeks and sorting through the myriad of expenditures I've just downloaded on Mint and trying to categorize them right and then hitting the budget button and going, what? How did I overspend in that category? At that moment, it's hard for me to think of my one great purpose, what Jesus is going to give us in this text. Like, the one great purpose that I have, that God has for me in life, isn't on my mind when I'm at the grocery store like I was recently. And Desi, I said, Desi, I'm going to Publix anyways. I'll go ahead and do some grocery shopping for you. For you. Big mistake. <laughs> grocery shopping is, is a combat sport. I had, I had old ladies throwing elbows in the checkout line. Where is this thing? You know, beef bullion? Where is this? I'm asking everybody. It's like, it was like hilarious. Like the people, okay, there's that guy who doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, that's over here. What are you looking for? It's hard for me at that moment to think of my one great purpose. It's hard for me to think of my one great purpose when I jump into my car and I drive down the street and I'm starting to hear this noise. I have no idea what it is. It sounds like my right wheel is about to come off. It's hard at that moment to think of the one great purpose. But, oh, friends, our one great purpose is exactly what the resurrected Lord Jesus is speaking here in this text and what the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus is speaking to us this morning through the text. What is your one great purpose? Well, let's read about it. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Can I just urge you to really open this up and look at it? This is probably the most important part of the, of the sermon. This is God's word. This is God's word. Reverence it, because in doing that, you reverence God. So read it with me silently as I read it out loud. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, our one great purpose. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And just pause for a second. Imagine hearing Jesus Christ say that to you. Transport yourself back to 33 AD and hear God in the flesh say that to you. Now, he's saying it to you right now in this word by his spirit. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The one great purpose that's at the heart of a disciple. What we look like in this family portrait that Jesus has made us a part of is this. We are to be disciples who make disciples with the gospel. That is the main point of this text. Be disciples who make disciples with the gospel. Now, before we get into point one, I want to encourage you. If you remember from last, year's, last week's message, just as there are competing loves for our heart, 
that want to take us away in an idolatrous, almost adulterous way from the pure love of God that we're called to. Remember the one great love of a disciple is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Just like there's a battle in our lives, right? To, to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. There's this competing loves. So there's a competing purpose or purposes in our heart. There are some days that I just don't feel like being a disciple. Forget about making disciples, right? Because before you can make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. And even on those days when I feel like a disciple, why I'm a disciple. And then I think, oh, but I'm called to make a disciple. I'm like, oh, that is so hard, right? Let's be honest. It's okay. It's okay. We're in the family portrait. We're there because Jesus saved you and transformed you by his blood and called you to be his son or his daughter. You belong in the portrait, okay? But here's the funny thing about Christianity. More and more, we look like Jesus and our heavenly father. Now, I know that'd be really weird if you came back and looked at this portrait on my wall in a year and suddenly we all looked a little differently, right? That'd be, whoa, that's kind of strange. But that's how it is in Christianity. You're part of the family portrait, and more and more you're looking like Jesus, your elder brother. You're looking like your heavenly father. And so you can honestly say to God, you know, my purpose, my one great purpose, I kind of drifted from it being to be a disciple who makes a disciple. By the way, one of the ways that you can kind of check yourself on that, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your talents? And where do you spend your treasures? For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you're drifting from it, if you're saying, you know what, my one great purpose is just anything but that. I'm just really tired. That's okay. Your father, who puts you in that family portrait and keeps you in that family portrait, he's going to make you more like Jesus. And Jesus says the one great purpose right here in this text for us is to be disciples who make disciples. You're going to look like Jesus. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Trust him in that, okay? Be encouraged, Christian. Be encouraged as we read this. All right, point one. Be disciples. Be disciples. Here is the deal. The the thing Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount three years earlier is this is truly a disciple. Here's the family portrait. It's not someone trying to get into that portrait. Those are the Pharisees, the hypocrites, who have an external mask They don't look like us. No, it's those that I've called from the heart, from the inside out. And this is who they are. They are my disciples. And so Jesus is saying, be who you are. Obey me. The Sermon on the Mount is unique in that it is a very practical righteousness. There is a righteousness in Scripture that is a legal or forensic righteousness. It's my status with God. I'm made righteous with God. And that's very appropriate. That's very true in Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is where that righteousness gets feet and starts walking around. You've heard that it's said, you shall not murder. I say to you, don't hate, because if you do, you've committed murder. You've heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. I say to you, do not lust, because when you lust, you're committed adultery. Jesus is now interpreting the law on the Sermon on the Mount and saying, this is what a disciple looks like. And I've given you that righteousness, and I'm, I'm conforming you into my image. You fit into that family portrait. Well, one of the things, one of the main things that we learn from the Sermon on the Mount 
is that a disciple is one who obeys God. So be disciples is synonymous with obey God. And that's exactly what the disciples did. Look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, remember Judas is gone. He betrayed Jesus. This is now the last words of Christ on earth. Let me set the context for you. He died 40 days earlier, rose from the dead. This is now 40 days that he's walked on earth as they risen Lord Jesus. He's about to ascend into heaven. The last thing that he's going to do is speak to his disciples. And it says here, while they were going, uh, excuse me. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. If you recall, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to women at the tomb. And he told the women, he said, tell my disciples to meet me at the mountain in Galilee. Jesus rose from the dead in the Jerusalem area. Galilee is up north. So Jesus said, I'm going to meet with them in Galilee to the mountain that I direct them. Now, indulge my sanctified imagination for a moment. While no scholar would say, absolutely, we know what mountain Jesus is talking about here. We do know that it's a mountain in Galilee. We do know that the disciples knew which mountain. By the way, they were all from that area. By the way, Jesus, most of his ministry took place in Galilee. Capernaum, right near there, is right where Jesus had his headquarters. So he goes back to where his ministry was, and he says to go to the mountain to which I directed you. Just indulge me for a moment. It's the same mountain. It's the same mountain. So he starts his ministry three years early in the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes back to that same mountain three years later. Now, having lived the perfect life, having died on the cross to defeat sin and death, having risen from the dead, and now 40 days later, he's back at the same mountain. Back to the beginning. I fulfilled what I said I would. Here is the portrait of a disciple. Now we're back at that mountain. And here is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to go and be my disciple. And it's interesting. A disciple not only obeys his master. Look at verse 17. But when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You know what I love about that? Is that it gives us a picture of honest worship. Can you worship God and still doubt? Yes. As a matter of fact, this word doubt, the Greek word doubt, has a range of meaning. It actually can also be translated hesitated. Now stay with me for a second. You might be thinking, how in the world can these 11 disciples hesitate in worshiping Jesus who they saw murdered on the cross 40 days earlier? Well, it's exactly for that reason that they hesitated. I mean, imagine yourself. If you saw someone die a brutal death, And 40 days later, they're alive. You would hesitate a little bit. Come on. Not only that, if you look at the biblical record, do you remember when Jesus was walking to a place called Emmaus? On the road to Emmaus? He was walking with two disciples. Do you remember? They did not recognize him initially. It wasn't until he broke bread and said a blessing that their eyes were open and they saw Jesus. Also in John, John 21, there's another post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. The, the, the disciples are all fishing. He's on the shore where he prepared for them breakfast. I love that picture. 
And initially, they did not recognize it. Who's that on the, on the shore? I think it's Jesus. No, I don't think it's Jesus. So, so when it says some doubted, it says some hesitate. They didn't quite recognize who it was. But then Jesus comes to them and listen to what he says to them in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Powerful words. Powerful words. These are the words that Jesus shares with his disciples to encourage them. See, see what Jesus is saying here is he has all authority to put you and me in his family portrait. Listen, if you photobombed or photoshopped yourself in my family portrait, I would get it out of there immediately. You have no authority to do that. But you know what? As the father of my household, and I reach out and grab your arm, I say, come on, join us in the family portrait. You go, no, 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 not me. No, 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 no. I include you. Come on. But I don't look like your family. Now, this is where it can get a little weird, and this is where the illustration breaks down. And then I say, oh, but you will. And somebody's like, oh, no, I don't want to look like you. (laughs) But listen, when it comes to, you do want to look like Jesus. You do want to be honest and pure and kind and courageous and merciful and self-giving. You do want that. He grabs you and he brings you into his portrait. No matter how much you fuss and fight and kick, right? Anybody have little children try to get them to sit still in a family portrait? And some of us are like that. But he, he has the authority to bring you into that portrait. You know why? Because he has the authority over sin and death that corrupted you. And he has the authority to say that sentence of death over you because of your sin. I took on my body on the cross. You now are no longer an orphan. You're my child. You now are no longer cursed. You are blessed. You now are in the family portrait. That's what he's saying to the disciples. And then he tells them something amazing. Now that you're in the portrait, I'm sending you out to go grab some people to bring them into the family portrait. Point two, make disciples with the gospel. Here's the deal. Jesus makes us his followers. Jesus brings us into the family portrait hanging on the wall of heaven. Just let me be sanctified in my imagination a little bit longer, right? You know, you get in. You go, hey, there I am. She made it in? No, no, no. Yes, there. By the blood of Jesus, I am transformed. I begin to look like my heavenly father. I begin to look like my elder brother. I'm in the family portrait. And he gives us this one great purpose. It is to go out and to make disciples. Maturing followers of Christ. Disciples are those who are seeking to make disciples with the gospel. We must make the connection. Church, we must make the connection between this one great purpose to make disciples with the gospel and God's creation purpose. Again, I remind you, 
when God created man, he created us to reflect his glory as his image bearers. But Adam and Eve chose to steal his glory and rebel against him. And so that image was marred. Jesus comes in by his authority, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, and he defeats sin and death. He overcomes them. He has authority over them. He rules and reigns over them, enabling us to now become his disciples, his followers. We have a new heart. We have a new creation. And then he calls us to go make disciples with the gospel. See, what's truly revelatory in this text is the fact that we're to go and make disciples amongst the nations. Verse 18, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is that word ethnos. That's the Greek word. It's translated here, nations, ethnicities. See, what's amazing is up until this point, it was Israel who were God's people, God's sons and daughters, so to speak, God's covenant people. But now Jesus said, no, I've come to fulfill the creation mandate to image God and that go and populate the earth with image bearers. And that's in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We prayed for Spain earlier this morning at the beginning of the service. Morocco, Burma, China, Venezuela. We, we pray that God would make his disciples. And then Jesus says, your one great purpose is to be a disciple who makes disciples. Look, the two actions associated with making disciples. The end of verse 18. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So at the end of verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So these two aspects of making disciples are crucial. Let's start with baptizing. Last week, we baptized some folks. Or two weeks ago, we baptized some folks. Why? We did it in obedience to this passage. This baptism is the covenant sign that God the Holy Spirit, who was sent from heaven by God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, after he spoke these words, he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon his disciples on the day of Pentecost and empowered them to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses among the nations. And so baptism in water is the covenant sign that God the Holy Spirit, who is now with us, has taken the work of God the Son who came to this earth, born of a virgin, God in the flesh, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. God the Holy Spirit today takes that work and now applies it to our hearts. And he takes our dead hearts and makes them alive. This is a sovereign work of God. And I, Let me just say this. If God hasn't done that work in you yet. And if you're here this morning, perhaps hearing this gospel for the very first time, I'm praying that God, the Holy Spirit would speak to you, that these truths would jump out at you, that he would place you into his family portrait this morning. 
And let me tell you something. I'm praying that for Christmas near the beach. I'm praying that we would experience a new power in this church, that we wouldn't walk around wondering or, oh, it's kind of a duty to share the gospel. But we would say, man, God has his people here. And I don't know who they are, but I know that as I preach the gospel, as I talk to them about what Jesus has done, God's going to save them. And let us believe No matter how messed up our lives are at the moment, no matter how much we think we don't look like the family portrait, okay? Don't you hate it when you're going to take a family portrait and a big pimple develops right on your nose? Come on, man. Don't look at me so funny. You know that happens, right? No, not today. Or like school pictures, you know? Like you get a tooth out and you're all, you know, swollen like that. But listen, Jesus beautifies us. We are in that family portrait. Let's have faith that with the gospel... We're calling people, say, you are part of that family. And then it's God's choice. God does it by his spirit, but he uses us. That's exciting. That's the reason I'm going out to Christmas near the beach. God's on the move, man. You understand that? He's populating his family. That portrait is growing. Come back to my house in a year and there's 34 of us in there. You go, whoa, how'd that happen? (laughs) There's some secret children here. Yeah. One of my daughters says, no way, dad, not for me. (laughs) I gave you four and that's it. (laughs) But you understand what I'm saying. See, when we baptize, when we baptized you, buddy, we were trusting God. We were doing what we've seen the church do from the first sermon Peter preached in Acts 2. And the people were cut to the quick. The Holy Spirit convicted them. Peter was blunt with them. You killed Jesus. And that Jesus you killed is God in the flesh. He's the Savior. And God's elect, God's people said, what must we do to be saved? And what did Peter say? Come up front and sign a card? Take a new members class? Start tithing? No. What did he say? Be baptized. All through there, the Ethiopian eunuch is hearing the gospel for the first time. And it says that they stopped and were baptized. Why? Because he was saved. When you're saved, you get baptized. Because this is what Jesus commanded. That's why you got baptized two Sundays ago. And it's a work of God. And that outward sign is the inward reality that you have a new heart. You're in the family photo. You're my brother in Christ. My better looking brother in Christ. Well, this is what scripture says. First Corinthians 12, 13 on the screen for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Don't you see? He's expanding it out to the nations that freaked out the Jews, man. The guys that were interlopers that were photobombing Jesus portrait of a disciple. Those Pharisees did not want the Gentiles in there. They were unclean. It's like, yeah. And Jesus said, and so are you with your fake righteousness. My righteousness is what includes you in that photo. Thank you, Jesus, because I have no righteousness of my own. I mean, some of you may have some. You grew up, man, you're perfect. (laughs) Trust me, I'm not. I need that righteousness. I've got to have it. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of what? One spirit. 
You see, baptism is the covenant act of initiation for God's people in Christ. From Peter all the way through the book of Acts, do a study of it. This is the deal. And baptism is also, we're talking about making disciples. We're talking about what we do. This is preaching the gospel. And as he saves them, then we baptize them. It's a symbol of what happens. We die with Christ on the cross. He took our sin. He took our punishment. We're raised with Christ from the dead to a new identity. That's why we baptized you two weeks ago. Romans 6, 3 through 4 on the screen. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's the spirit who baptizes into Christ Jesus. It's the spirit who gives us life and places us in Christ. So now that Christ is my identity, I no longer live, but it's Christ in me who lives. That's a disciple. Then he calls me out to go make disciples with that message. I can't wait to do that. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're in the portrait. We're in the portrait. The second action associated with making disciples is teaching. Very, very important. You can't make a disciple without teaching. That's what I'm doing right now. Thank you for being here. You need to be here. God called you to reflect his glory. And the only way you're going to reflect his glory is by being a disciple who makes disciples. And the only way you can be a disciple who makes disciples is by receiving teaching from God's word. Thank you. We do that in small groups. We do that one-on-one. When we get together, we ought to open this thing and talk about it. We do it formally. We do it informally. This is what Jesus commands us to do. Teaching them what? To obey all things that I've commanded you. Paul, years later, is going to write about this in Colossians 1.28. Here's the discipleship process. You ready? Colossians 1.28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? What's the goal? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. A disciple is a maturing follower That's what a disciple is, synonymous, follower, disciple. A disciple is a maturing follower of Christ who is seeking to make disciples. It's it's all one and the same. It's not like I'm a disciple and like extra credit, I'll go make disciples. No, no, no. Jesus says your one great purpose is to be a disciple who makes disciples. It's exciting. And we do that by teaching, which means first we need to be taught. I'm going to make a disciple. I first need to be a disciple. If I'm going to teach, I first need to be taught. But then when I'm taught, I don't just become like this enormous person with all this data. I have all this data. No, no. I'm taught. I just immediately give it to someone else at work. I, I, I love, listen, teaching is so key in making disciples, starting with unbelievers. What? Yeah, exactly. I heard a testimony yesterday. Of a brother in, in, in Christ. We were in a small group. We were doing some accountability. Hey, how are we doing with sharing the gospel? He said, man, the Lord is amazing what the Lord do. This couple was at our house. And this brother has uh, written on the wall uh, that God would give you a new heart out of Ezekiel. And this unbelieving couple said, what does that mean? <laughs> and the brother went, ah, <laughs> the teaching monster comes. No, but, but he spent two hours explaining why you need a new heart. And it was the gospel. Hey, listen, God saved that couple. Isn't that cool? That's cool, man. It's not because he threatened them like you're going to hell if you don't receive Christ. It was just he taught them, man. He taught them. 
Can you teach somebody? You'd be surprised how much you know. You'd be surprised when someone asks you, why are things so bad? What's going on in my life? What about education? What, what about my marriage? And you say, listen, I'm an imperfect person. I'm in this family portrait only because God brought me in here and he's changing me. But can I just share with you what, what I've been taught by God's word? It starts there. But then it moves to the church. Oh, my goodness. Church, this is why we have sermons. This is why we have marriage seminars two weeks ago. Amazing time. This is why we have different small groups and Bible studies. Ladies getting together. Guys getting together. This is why we do something called the Financial Peace University. This is why we have this ministry center. And, Corey, thank you for the vision. Months ago, we prayed for a ministry center. Months ago, buddy. And I was in there on Saturday morning with a small group of guys, and we were teaching. It didn't look like this. I wasn't screaming at them, making points, you know, scrunching my face. But we were just talking about scripture. And disciples were being made. Hopefully, and we're going out to make disciples. Church, this is what we've been called to do. Being a disciple who makes disciples. Finally, I know it's not easy. I know it's not. But I love what Jesus said. Jesus' final words on earth. Read them. Read them there. As I read them out loud, read them silently. Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The one who has all authority is with us always to the end of the age. Therefore, the appeal is this. Be disciples who make disciples with the gospel. Here's what I want to encourage you to do as an application. Sometime in the next month, as you think about 2019... Would you simply grab the Bible, grab this text, get away with the Lord, and ask him this question. Lord, functionally, what is my one great purpose? What I mean by that is, what am I living for? Take an inventory of your life. Look at 2018. Where have I spent my money? Where have I spent my time? Where have I spent my talents? Where do I invest myself? What do I love with all my heart, soul, and mind? Lord, I, I, I want to take an honest look at my life so that you would speak to me, Lord, about what it is that I live for, what it is that I do. Lord, speak to me. And then God, by his grace, will say, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, I love you. Great job here. Great job here. Now, here, let me talk to you about some of these areas so that your one great purpose would be to be a disciple who makes disciples. And I'm telling you right now, that's the greatest joy. Even if you can't meet your bills every month, even if work is not going so well every month, even if you've got relational conflict, you are fulfilling the one great purpose that Christ has given us and he promises to do it. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please join me up front? Father, I pray that you would give us grace. Lord, that there would be one great purpose that captures our heart even when there are competing purposes. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of those that are here this morning, perhaps who don't know that one great purpose. They don't know you. They have not repented and believed in you. Lord, the the first thing you taught was repent and believe for the kingdom of God has come. You command everyone everywhere to repent and believe. We can certainly teach that and we can do it in faith that Christ, you have made it possible for your people, your elect.
Father, we pray for a fresh zeal to be disciples who make disciples. If that zeal has flagged, if it has waned, if we feel lethargic, oh God, pour out your spirit. Lord, you know the prayers are that these, these sermons wouldn't just be nice words, but they would come with power, that our faith would be based not on nice words or nice sermons, but on the power of God. That we would have one great love. We would live for one great purpose, to be disciples who make disciples. Lord, you are greater than we can imagine. So, Lord, we just want to end by singing that. And that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, I pray you'd fill us with your spirit as we sing this by faith. As your people, as your church, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.